Smart home technology isn't new. Back in the mid-70s, engineers developed the first home automation platform. It was something called the X10. Homeowners would use these boxy command consoles and walkie-talkie-sized modules to send signals through their home's electrical wiring to control devices remotely. As you can imagine, based on that description, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Fast forward to today, and smart home technology is so dialed in that it can control everything from in-ground sprinklers to smart thermostats. An ad in last year's Super Bowl even joked that we're on the verge of smart homes that can even read our minds. Hey, babe, check this out. Alexa, it's game day. Streaming football on Prime Video. Closing blinds. Chilling rosé. Rosé? Well, it's an afternoon game. Mm. But consumers aren't the only ones using smart home technology to trick out their homes. Utility companies across the U.S. are using it to run energy efficiency programs. Angie Ostashevsky works on energy efficiency at the Illinois utility Ameren. And when Ameren's CEO met with Google back in 2019 to brainstorm ways to utilize smart home tech for their customers, Angie was put in charge of designing a pilot program. So Google actually met with our CEO and they talked a lot about the future of energy and had a lot of conversations about smart home. And we came back and we're brainstorming and ended up crafting this pilot where we were giving smart home makeovers that would also have energy management benefits, but also mobility benefits for customers. So we bundled a lot of different things together. Now, to think through the mobility benefits piece, Angie spent hours talking with the man who had cerebral palsy because she knew that gathering data points from an online survey would not get her the details she needed to make mobility-friendly smart homes. She needed to know specifics, and he gave them to her in space. If he gets into the shower when it's still too cold, it would literally shock his body. And that would leave him really tired, really shaken. It led me to the conclusion that we needed to get him a thermostatic shower valve. This device mixes cold and hot water to a preset temperature, so when it comes out of the shower head, it's just right. Now, it wasn't something Ameren typically gave out as part of the program, but since it had a clear energy-saving benefit and a major impact on the quality of his life, Angie knew her team needed to install one, and that was just the start. I mean, when we came back for the follow-up visit, he's like, sit down right there. And then he's like doing all the voice commands in the living room. And it's like, you know, like, let there be light. (laughs) It's just really fun seeing that it uh, reduces energy draining activities for him and makes him feel more independent and empowered. And he's really like spreading the gospel of this pilot. He has really become a champion for it and, and also given us great feedback to keep improving how it works. Ameren's pilot program set the stage for other programs Angie helps develop at the utility. And to her, taking that time to listen to the participants was the linchpin of its success. I just really got to know them as people so that I could be the bridge and start thinking about what are other non-traditional applications of these measures. And I would have never thought about any of this stuff without the customers really lining out for me what their day-to-day was like. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. There's this perception that utilities are outdated and slow, that they're not embracing innovation fast enough. But truth is, across the industry, there are lots of people working really hard to build that customer-centric, zero-carbon grid of the future. This week, we're talking with Angie Ostashevsky of Ameren, Illinois, about the importance and value of listening to customers. 
everything around us can be personalized. Our homes, our cars, our online shopping experiences. And that's what we as customers have come to expect. So as utilities work to grow their business, they're also needing to think about personalization. And that means designing programs for specific groups of people and not just mass offerings for all customers. But serving the needs of everyone means collecting more than just a few data points. Angie Ostashevsky spends a lot of time listening to customers. As an energy efficiency consultant at Amarin, Illinois, it's her job to make sure people enroll in the programs they offer. And she believes the best way to get customers to enroll in the utility program is to deliver what she calls non-energy benefits. It's very easy when you work in the energy industry to just become laser focused on kilowatts and therms. And I think that's why sometimes customers don't respond to what we're doing because they're like, I live in a whole world. I'm not just thinking about this. Serving each customer as an individual means understanding all the details. So I wanted to speak with Angie about how listening helps her deliver these personal experiences. We started with the non-energy benefits embedded in the programs she helps design. When you say the non-energy benefits, is it the impacts on life or are there other kind of elements to how these kinds of technologies and programs can really, you know, have benefit beyond just, you know, what people traditionally think about energy efficiency? My team is very serious about customer service. And something that I've been uh, highlighting is when we've been talking about the program is that when you call a contractor on your own time, man, is it hard to get someone to call you back. I just remodeled my house um, earlier this year and finding a contractor took longer than the project. And our program, we handle the contractor for you. We'll assign one. We'll make sure they complete the project within a certain number of days. That's a huge relief for the customer. And it made me realize like if that had been marketed to me before I joined energy efficiency is we'll handle making sure the contractor does their job. We'll QC it to make sure it was done well. That's super attractive in addition to some of those quality of life benefits. Talk me through how you became, you went from a PR intern um, to doing some program design to now being part of this energy efficiency group. I think it's an interesting progression and just would love to hear uh, how it transpired. One of the projects that kind of grew beyond just doing the the storytelling part was we had this project with our tree trimming department of looking at, can we donate our tree trimmings to different zoos uh, to feed the animals? And it had been done in Ameren, Missouri. And I just got super excited. Thankfully, the operations team let me be super involved because I was all about how do we design this program? How often are we delivering the tree trimming? Can we get them a freezer so they can store it? Uh, what should be the delivery schedule? Which animals is it going to? And so I got to go out to the zoos with them, meet with all the staff, and we did launch that program. And that was one of the first things that made me realize I love program design. And after that, I was working as our liaison to the energy efficiency group where I met my senior director, Crystal Sims, and my current manager, Deb Perry. And they were telling us about the market development initiative and we're trying to come up with the name. We're trying to come up with what agencies to part with, partner with. What should the programming look like? And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I was like, yeah, I want in on that. That's what I want to do. It was like so serendipitous. So I approached them and they brought me over to the team and I've been working on MDI, you know, since the year it launched. 
That's awesome. Now, the MDI feels like it's pretty broad in its scope, right? So we talked about the smart home program. We're talking about tree trimmings for feeding zoo animals, which is awesome. I think it also includes training electricians. Uh, what, like, How do you decide what becomes part of the MDI group? Is it you guys kind of internally brainstorming and saying, here's what we want to do? Or is it the organization saying, we have this challenge, you guys go figure it out? Or is it kind of a combination of the two? Probably a combination of the two. Uh, we basically have three regulatory goals that we need to adhere to. The first is to serve customers who haven't previously benefited from energy efficiency. The second is to bring local and diverse job seekers into the industry. And the third is to help launch or expand energy efficiency businesses. So it, again, is super broad and it's not specific to jobs at Amrin. We are helping the industry throughout our service territory. So we do a lot of work with small businesses, mom and pop type businesses, small nonprofits. And really the goal is always how do we infuse energy efficiency into an organization's existing mission? So for example, near me, we've worked with a neighborhood house, a nonprofit in the past, and we funded interns there. And one of their programs where they were struggling to get enough staffing was their Meals on Wheels. They deliver meals to seniors. They also deliver um, dog and cat food to seniors because I didn't know until working with them, a lot of seniors give their Meals on Wheels to their animals and go hungry because they can't afford the food. So they do amazing work, but they just needed more hands on deck because they serve thousands and thousands of people every day. And so we funded an internship with them, which gave job experience to some college students. And they joined the Meals on Wheels route. And then we came up with that they have a weekly menu for Meals on Wheels that they would drop off. On the backside of that menu, which was usually blank, we started printing information about the energy efficiency programs. And then we also added in the delivery of an energy efficiency kit with their meals. And that was something that we came up with together. It still furthered the goal, but it was specific to their mission and also helped them solve a problem they had. So it's always got to be mutually beneficial we want to be good stewards to all of the organizations we're working with. And I know from being at a nonprofit how hard it is to be resource strapped. You've also described the MDI as a way to grow energy efficiency through workforce development. What do you mean by that? We have a, over 800 contractors working on our program, over 100 nonprofits partnering with us. And we hear from all of them, from our contractors, it is really hard to find someone with the skill set they need and even harder to retain someone. And same with nonprofits, like our community action agencies that do weatherization, they are struggling to find people. And so we want to take that um, challenge and then provide a solution in our workforce program. Last November, one of the ways we did that was we convened a seasonal employment pilot. And so we recruited 28 people from different nonprofits in the central Illinois area. We also worked with the Illinois Department of Corrections to recruit folks in their adult transitional housing, which is they're still incarcerated, but they are released during the day to work and they can save up money for their eventual release. They also get time off of their sentence for every day they work. Um, and we got these folks together. We gave them a super rigorous two-week intro to energy auditing training and then placed them with a bunch of our employers in the area who really needed staff. And we funded the positions for the first two months with the hope and intention of if, it, if that person was a fit, that they would then retain them within their own means. So all these stories, I mean, speak to, you know, great empathy and desire to do good, which I think is, you know, fantastic from 
helping feed seniors through Meals on Wheels who were giving their own food to their pets to helping people with disabilities, you know, really kind of make their homes smarter and to helping um, people reacclimating after after being in prison. You know, is there something in your background or like as you were growing up that just, you know, made you want to help people or did you just kind of find yourself in this role and thought we can do some real good or, you know, Maybe there's a story or something that just, you know, kind of formed who you are that makes you want to do such good work because it really is impressive. I don't know. Sometimes I joke I'm just like a poo-poo platter of a person. And by that, I mean, like, my parents are both immigrants. My mom immigrated from the Philippines. My dad immigrated from Poland. So I'm biracial. I'm almost always the youngest in any workplace I'm in. I am uh, bisexual, so I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community. And man, did I grow up broke. So I share a lot of lived experience with our customers. And I think when you have to sort of navigate life, wielding all of these different identities and still finding ways to relate to people uh, is very easy when you're different in a lot of ways to feel like an outcast. So I do think it developed what I now know is like my superpower at work, which is empathy and problem solving because I just had to do that to survive. We need to rebrand this though. This is not the poo-poo platter. I mean, <laughs> this sounds so much more impressive than that. It's like the combo platter of goodness or something. I don't know. Cause you hear poo-poo platter and your mind goes somewhere different than what you just described. <laughs> You're right. I've been, I've been marketing. I should know how to rebrand this. What do you borrow from your PR and comms background to make you successful in this role? You talked about, you know, planning and, you know, being the person who's doing the planning. Obviously, there's an element to that. But is there anything specific to kind of your comms PR background that makes you successful Do you think other people should try to apply in this kind of program management role? Because I have a non-technical background, you know, a lot of people in energy efficiency traditionally have an engineering background because I, I just didn't have a lot of the context for this program before joining. Again, I thought that was a weakness, but in some ways it can be a strength. I think I have um, an acute awareness to the need to explain our programming internally in a completely different way than we talk about it externally. And it's very easy when you're in this jargon-heavy, acronym-riddled environment every day to just fall into talking like that all the time. Um, But especially looking at I speak Polish with my grandparents. There's always been a language barrier for them. I think about would my would my grandma be able to understand this? Like would my parents be able to understand this? Would my friends be able to understand this? And all those folks are from different communities and I just have this sort of like automatic litmus test to think about can we make this a little bit more approachable? Can we simplify? Can we highlight the benefits of even like, hey, if you participate in our program, we'll install the smart thermostat for you because I just know if you bought one, it would be sitting on your countertop for six months. You know, just little things like that. Why is listening so important for utilities? I think listening is the number one way to overcome unconscious bias. I've worked with people who were who were like, why aren't people applying for LIHEAP? the bill payment assistance funding. Like if they need help on their bill, why aren't they just doing it? And when you sit down and listen to a customer and they say, I can't get transportation to the office. Um, I have trouble reading the forms. You know, literacy could be an obstacle. 
I'm just intimidated by having to go someone and get approved for something. I can't find childcare to do it. There's so many reasons, uh, but you would have to listen to understand those, especially if you've never been through the LIHEAP application process. And we're not going to be able to come up with good programs and solutions unless we listen and take all of that in. And that, that listening and being reactive to the community, I would think also ties into diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? How does listening, you know, really um, tie in to DEI initiatives? If we are operating based on assumptions, we're essentially operating on stereotypes. We're taking just our own lived experience with either income qualified populations or people of color And we're applying that because it's all we know. When you're doing that, you are not allowing for the other party to be the full person that they are. And you're only going to find out who they are by listening. There's probably some naysayers out there that would say, man, what what Andrew's describing is just going to take, it's a lot of work. You know, it's just hard to do that much level of listening, to do that much level of program personalization. Uh, If there are naysayers out there, people that may have that kind of creeping doubt in the back of their head What would you tell them? I would say first, listening, I think, should be a deliverable on any program that you're running. Um, And if you do take the time to listen, you're going to have less cost down the road, fixing problems, changing the design when it's not working, because you really took the time to take in the information. And in an ideal world, we all want to provide a perfect solution right away. I'm not saying that listening will get you a perfect solution right away, but it will bring you much closer to a design that you know is benefiting the people you're trying to serve. If you take a proactive approach to listening and then, you know, designing programs based on that, how how can that shift the way utilities fundamentally do business? What's the positive outcome? We're hitting our energy savings goal every year. But up until we had something like a market development initiative, even though we serve 1.2 million people, a lot of the folks coming to our program were from the same areas, same income bracket. And I think that's one thing I really, really appreciate about my leadership is they looked at that and they said, our goal is to serve every single customer. And the way this program is running is only going to benefit a select few. And especially if you're at a utility, you need to think about Am I doing the work to make sure this program is accessible to every customer? That's a huge responsibility. Most businesses, you're selling sneakers, you know your target audience. You know, you can really hone in. But in this one, no, we have an obligation to everyone. And that's a big obligation. To hear you talk about this, I mean, it feels pretty unique. Um, You'd mentioned you attend a lot of events. You hear people talking like... From what you've seen and heard, is is your approach pretty pretty unique? You know, is there something about the corporate culture of Ameren that really breeds this type of of approach, um, or have you guys kind of collectively brought this to the MDI? Um, just curious, to get your sense on like the uniqueness of this, and um, you know where it stems from. Is it Ameren? Is it the communities you serve? Is it just like you know being in the Midwest and just being generally good people? Like what what is it um, you know that allows you guys to take this really thoughtful approach? I think I mentioned earlier, this is the first utility program of its kind in the country. And what really makes it stand out is we have this funding available that doesn't have to directly tie to energy savings and it doesn't impact our cost effectiveness, but it indirectly promotes more equitable savings, more equitable program design, and just a better quality program. Even though it's such a small percentage of our budget, 
it has made a huge difference in who participates in these programs. I think you made a really good point there. A lot of really good points, but one that stood out to me is just the fact that, you know, energy efficiency savings are not the mandate here, which I think allows you to design things that have so many more residual benefits than just that kind of standard, you know, 1.5 to 3%, whatever it is in savings. And you can really kind of think more broadly about other benefits we're trying to deliver on behalf of our customers. I feel like that kind of frees you up to be a little bit more creative and thoughtful in uh, designing these programs. We are always keeping energy savings in mind. I mean, sustainability is a huge focus, but it's just not in the same sense of traditional programming. I, I think about we've done every year a contractor development boot camp to bring in new contractors to our program. And we have a, an initiative that I ran for the last four years called Smart Savers, where we have local contractors come out and install a smart thermostat for you at no cost to the customer. I mean, we had a guy who came through this boot camp and installing one smart thermostat at a time over four months made fi- over $50,000. Like the man had hustle and he was just looking for an opportunity. And since then, he has added five staff because of the start he got with our program. And I'm so proud of him. Like, he's killing it. What is your superpower in helping drive our clean energy transition? My superpower is being a bridge between different groups and serving as a connector and a translator. It's where I've seen that I can be the most impactful for my team and and the communities I work with. Angie, thank you very much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I I really admire all the great work you and your team are doing at Ameren. And I think um, a lot of great insights here that hopefully others can learn from in terms of the importance of listening um, and designing programs based on that feedback from the community. So kudos to you and all the great work you're doing. Thank you. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify that journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emergent rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, and Camille Stennis from PostScript Media, and Bailey is our story editor. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Marquand. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, please help us spread the word. You can rate or review us at Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks again for listening. I'm Brad Langley.